it's wild man compared to um well here let me let me start i'll do the quick intro and then we can uh start with that so um god i mean i i always get like a little uh blank in my head um yeah. hello river um today you are five years old four months and 28 days um old and uh there are no unfortunately no uh, cool facts but some people that were born uh, um on your birthday um Aaliyah, that uh rap singer that's really the only one everybody else is <laughs> then sometimes it gives like cool facts but this time it didn't um but uh you know river um uh you know it's i'm a little out of practice um but uh it's good to talk to you again and it is an incredibly special day it is my three years sober and i have ben uh here with me would you like to say hello ben hi river how are you i'm um, doing well so yeah you were saying right before the intro it is kind of i was i always you know get reminiscent and i was thinking about like this time last year um you know we did the the f like the unofficial first one like i had a bunch of my friends yeah. and you came um to the to the satanic recovery meeting and and like you know before that i almost relapsed i think it was like two weeks before i was sitting in my car with a crack rock and a pipe like ready to go you know and then like now you know this whole year i mean honestly when i think about it i i've i've had you know um the passing thoughts but i haven't had a craving since we you know uh started the meetings and really started going it's kind of wild <laughs> like yeah i think next month uh the first or second week of next month it will be the first official one year anniversary of the first meeting yep yeah it's quite it's been it's been an amazing 12 months and uh yeah i'm really pleased to have been a part of it to be honest with you um because a lot of it was driven by you to be fair um from from that sort of two years and sort of asking can anyone sort of write me out a sort of a satanic recovery meeting and kind of went yeah actually i've had a, an idea in my head for a little while uh, i'm quite happy to do that and then being able to come along and, and be part of your your two years was amazing and then to actually now be on this journey with you has been absolutely fantastic and i yeah i can't think of a better person to have actually gone through it with so yeah thanks for that well, thank you, because um, that that's River. What what I wanted to talk about today was, um, you know, uh, in prior episodes, I'm sure you uh, would know by now I was in a bad place. And then um, I I was thinking about it. Um, I I was like about to give up on AA, like uh, not um, stopping going, but I was like done with even before COVID. I was like, I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. Like, I'll go as an emergency handle, um, you know, if I like without a doubt, but like, I'm not going to keep going like weekly because I was just getting like so tired of the platitudes really, uh, it was the issue. And then I, I don't, I, you know, um, I've, I think I read the satanic Bible when I was like in my early twenties. Um, but I never connected the two. And then I, you know, in desperation one night, I, I, it's actually, uh, my wife and I, we watched, um, the TST documentary and, um, I, uh, you know, she was like, why don't you like, see if the, you know, you, cause I, I have history in activism. Um, and I've done a lot of activism and I, that kind of riled me up. I was like, okay, cool. I want to do a satanic version of recovery. Like that'd be dope. And maybe I could talk to them and get, I knew AA wouldn't ever approve. Um, you know, because my sponsor started, um, uh, the first atheist meeting in our state. And like, he had yeah. so many 
like it was bad like he had so many trials and tribulations and i figure oh if i could get like some satanic organization to co-sign it maybe it'll get the fucking word out and then i started talking to him and you know i don't want to talk bad about anything but like it just didn't go anywhere it was like hurting fucking cats and then i googled and one night and i found your book and then i read your book and it like it truly was uh you know the i'm gonna get emotional because the i was just done you know um and the part uh, where you didn't change the steps was the, I always felt like my recovery or I second guessed my recovery because like everybody has like the, the white light moment or like, yeah, I did a fourth step in it. You know, I, I slept great. Then I never had any of those, you know, like it was a slow, um, you know, a slow to eroding wave. And that was my white light moment where I was like, Oh my God, you know? And then it's funny through, I've been listening to podcasts, my you know, since college, I mean, probably since like 2009. And like, you get this one way narrative with um, media um, of books and that. And like, I had this idea of you in my mind, um, you know, and like, I, 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 I mean, I still have you on a pedestal kind of, but like, I had like, oh man, like what this just like, you changed my life. And I, you know, I had this like, you know, just vision of who you are. And then I found David, um, his his group and then i started like posting in there and then you started commenting i was actually taking a shower before this and after (laughs) i read your book when i finished it i I found your facebook page and i messaged you like some feverish um like fanboy like very uncomfortable uh uh message you know and then like you messaged like a day later like thanks mate or something like that and i was like so embarrassed i was like oh my god i actually talked to him and i made an ass out of myself because i'm i'm sure i don't remember the message but i remember sending it and then being like oh my god i probably should have like rewrote that or something and then you know you were so accommodating and nice where you know then i'm you know then our friendship evolved and and this you know um i don't want to say partnership this uh endeavor that we began on and and that's what i wanted to talk to you about was where you have 13 years right 13 and a half now yeah 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 so where you know um you know, I don't want to go like, you know, uh, into the whole story unless you want to. I'm fine with that. But like where at what point did this idea um, uh, like sort of formulate? And then the second part of that is when when did you find Satanism or like, you know, have that moment where you identified with the religion? Um two sort of interesting questions i'll probably start with um how i got into satanism um really i remember being uh drunk on a night out i was about 19 uh, i was in central london um i think we were drinking in a crowbar uh which is like a big heavy metal bar in london uh, a group of friends and we ran down the road to foil's bookshop and we were like yes we're gonna get the satanic bible and uh yeah we all got a copy and two weeks later we met up and decided we're gonna you know speak about the book and they all went what a load of rubbish like that's absolute shit i don't want to list it like it was right and i was like that's me yeah that's me in a book that's exactly how i think like where how would i not come across this before um and then i kind of put it on a shelf and Uh carried on drinking um sort of yeah went for it so 
I mean, I didn't really come to the realization that I was a Satanist until I got into addiction recovery. Um, really? Okay. And, yeah. And until I was, um, I must have been about six months, a year in, I think. Um, I, I, in terms of the higher power, initially I went towards the Norse gods. Mm-hmm. I like the polytheistic idea. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that they had faults. I like the fact that there was, you know, um, I could go to different ones for different things. I really like that idea. Mm. Um, I was always drawn to the sort of the, the Norse thing, probably because I thought I looked like a Viking. <laughs> um, I, I was doing a radio uh, or I phoned into the local radio show uh, called XFM and they knew me as Viking Ben. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd done a few bits and pieces for them. It's quite far. I ended up going into their Christmas show and and was um i got to sing some kind of random christmas carol um it was funny and you know i i enjoyed uh, being viking ben with that so i i ran towards the sort of the norse mythology when they were mm-hmm. like you have to pick a higher power and i was like all right well that's you know i can get on board with that um but then i met someone from the odinist fellowship which is the longest running odinist group uh in the uk and i found that they'd bastardized the religion and they kept talking about tribes like this tribe does that and that tribe does this and you know that's a big no-no for our tribe and i'm like really um quick question you say odinist fellowship um that's not a recovery thing it's just just the religion okay okay i just yeah yeah just just a religion based um thing um so yeah not not recovery based so although i did meet someone that was in recovery um he was a massive geordie um so he's from newcastle um had a really strong accent we met in kensington and went to a aa meeting at a hospital um he had bolts in his beard he was in a death metal band as a bass uh-huh. player um he drove a harley um so the initial meeting with him was like oh this is great like we're gonna get on really well um but he was very very forceful in his okay. um uh, in his odinism and uh-huh. he would he was a loud character anyway so when they did the serenity prayer at the end he had his own odinist serenity prayer and he said it over the top of everyone else and i was a little bit embarrassed like uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. you know i'm i'm with that dude yeah yeah, yeah. um and we went out for a, a coffee and some food afterwards and that's when he was talking about his different tribes and there he was eating his you know italian fungi soup and drinking his colombian coffee and i'm like they're from different tribes dude <laughs> yeah yeah so with that um when did um aa sort of enter your consciousness because i know you know you you're obviously an alcoholic you drank for a long time um you know like myself uh i went to my first meeting at 16 and then i always knew it was there and Mm -hmm. i you know um i knew it was an option and sometimes i did go like you know in from 16 to like 20 something i maybe went to like two or three meetings when i was really like you know going nuts but like it just you know so i always knew it was an option like when did that enter your consciousness um probably not long after my last drink to be fair it was something i I suppose um i battled with drinking for a long time and i tried to do it on my own i tried swapping out drinks and i tried you know um different techniques to to get over it and it never worked like i always i could get like i don't know a week two weeks maybe three weeks maximum of of sobriety and then i just Mm-hmm. annihilate it again um having that last drink and blacking out for such a long time and then you know um it was at a point where it was almost like um i had an ultimatum um lose my partner or stop drinking 
Mm. I chose to stop drinking. Um, for me, like I knew I, uh, not just to to stay with her, but I knew that I had an issue. <clears throat> I knew I'd had an issue for a long time. Um, but I, I mean, I came in at 24 um, mm. and I've stayed in since. Um, but that was my first time of walking in and I've, I've managed to sort of stick with it because I knew it was something I had to do for me because I didn't like myself. I didn't like the facts, the, the situations I was getting into, um, like some of the stories that um, I could tell were quite, quite ridiculous of sort of some of the places that I went with my drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> one of the first times it really sort of um, shocked me was um, going out to a friend's gig and I drunk, um, I think I had a couple of beers during the day, but then I drank an entire bottle of vodka as in like a 70 centiliter bottle of vodka on my own um, before going. And I blacked out not long after getting in there. And apparently I was drinking, you know, um, I think I got up to eight pints in the in the venue and then passed out in the toilets. Because um, obviously the grape and the grain, they don't really mix today, you know. So, you <laughs> no, know, all, they do uh, not. <laughs> um, yeah. So I got carried out. And then my girlfriend at the time was trying to get me to come too. So I'm slouched on the floor outside the venue. She was slapping me in the face. And apparently I projectile vomited and got her from the neck down. Oh. Um, yeah, that was a good shot. Uh, my mate, um, he would always laugh. He was like, I matrix dodged it and then it got her completely. She stayed with me for a couple of months afterwards, but as you can imagine, um, and I remember the shame and guilt of that actually being yeah. carried home by someone dropped off at the front door at my uh-huh. parents. I must have been, must have been just about 18 then. Um, and I had, I wrote a letter to my girlfriend's parents to say uh-huh. i'm really i'm really sorry like that's not me that's not who i am um but i don't know how i got into that situation and there was a, you know, there was loads of times where i'd get into situations like, and i didn't know how i'd done it like it, it just happened and mm. i i was getting sick of getting into those situations um and it was all as a result of drinking so then um even to backtrack a little bit more like um in america the drinking age is 21 and i think my first drink i was i think it was like 14 or something i had already done drugs before then um i uh you know the first thing i actually ever did was was uh over the or not over the counter prescription opiates and um but like the mentality here because of the 21 it sort of adds like the you know, uh, forbidden appleness to it. Um, and I think for me, drugs was just, uh, easier cause it was easier for me to get drugs than it was to get alcohol. Cause I had to get somebody of age where I could just go buy drugs. You know, uh, it was simpler with you guys. It's 18 and uh, my mother being, um, English, uh, it's certainly a different mentality of how you guys look at it. It's not, a, a, you know, I'm generalizing over here, but like, yeah, yeah. One of the things that I noticed just growing, you know, growing up and spending time in England with my with that half of my family, it's not um, viewed alcohol in general isn't viewed as like, um, you know, the forbidden apple sort of thing. Like over here, it's, ah, you know, you can't drink until you're 21 and you see all these people drinking and and, uh, you know, it gets more tantalizing because I can't touch it over there. I mean, I, I remember my grandfather giving me a sip of a beer and telling me like this is an adult drink and he explained it rather than over here. It's just a solid no, or at least my experience was so like when 
did you have your first drink? And then when did it become a problem? Was it immediately off the bat? Um, so the first drink I remember and my first drink are completely different times. Um, so the first drink I was told about um, was a story that my biological dad told me when I met up with him again when I was 16. Um, so I hadn't seen for eight years and we met up in the in the local park. Um, and he was telling me about a story when I was two. And he was like, we were sitting there watching the telly saying, and you were, you know, in the living room watching the telly with us. And you said, you know, mummy beer, daddy beer. And then we said, we heard you run out to the kitchen and you grabbed the little ladder thing, opened up the fridge and you got the drinks out of the fridge and put the ladder back and then came back into the living room and you were like, mummy beer, daddy beer, Ben beer. Um, and then opened up the cans and they didn't really pay much attention. And apparently mm. I downed it and then was jumping up and down on the sofa and you know i was really hyperactive and then um yeah i went to bed and you know apparently got up the next morning and i was like oh ben ben's got a headache and my mm -hmm. dad was like ah that was your first hangover hey mm -hmm. um you know because i mean he had issues um i suppose afterwards with um drink and drugs and i mean he doesn't touch anything now as well um but that was after i came into AA. it was something that he decided that actually maybe he should look at his own sort of drinking at the same time um or sort of afterwards um but my first drink that i remember i was on a on a school ski trip in switzerland um okay. and the drinking age over there is 14 so i was about 11 oh. Um, and I walked straight into the into the local shop and bought a crate of beer for me and my friends. Um, it was like something we planned. So, yeah, I went in and did that. And uh, I basically drank the entire crate on my own. So it was like 24 bottles. And that was my my first memory Jesus. of drinking. And I was a really shy, quiet kid. I wouldn't say boo to a goose. I think with my dad leaving when I was three, um, I feared rejection quite a yeah. lot um so i was always quiet in class i was the good kid i did you know what i was asked to do i'd you know be helpful because i didn't want people to leave like mm. i didn't want people to go away um so that drink for me did what a phone box did for clark kent literally mm -hmm. i came out and i was superman with the cape on the teachers thought i'd done speed and ecstasy um they actually told me that as well um because i didn't get a hangover and i literally was the life and soul of the party i was in mm -hmm. the middle of the dance floor giving it large so it's completely different um different person i went from a really shy kid to this uber confident thing i could talk to anyone and you know and every drink after that was striving for that same experience um the the ski trips got more and more elaborate with my drinking which was mm -hmm. quite crazy elaborate like, what do you um, mean elaborate well, by the so it would be an annual trip every Easter. Um, so obviously the second year I was a bit like, you know, I got yeah. a couple of other friends like this is what happened the first year. We can try and do this the next year. You gotta and, one you know, up it. Yeah. By the third year, I was drinking vodka and Sprite. So I was 13 on the coach. It was a 22 hour coach journey to Switzerland. I was drinking vodka and, and Sprite on the way there uh without any of the teachers knowing mm -hmm. <laughs> and then we proceed like i uh yeah one of the one of the years one of the 
Um, one of the pupils turned around and said, I've never seen one of the teachers run that fast in my life because we were doing shots of tequila on the balcony mm. and he could hear us going one, two, three. Yeah. And we were like 15, you know, um, but that, that's kind of what it was. So we were stashing and hiding booze all over the place um, on, on the ski trips. Um, and sort of in between that, I, you know, I'd managed to convince my grandparents that, you know, when I come home from school, I can have a shandy. Like, okay, that, that's fine. Cause my parents were very much like there was alcohol literally everywhere in the house, mm -hmm. but you weren't allowed to touch it. Mm -hmm. um, that was very much like, no, it's forbidden. It's an adult thing. Once you get to a certain age, you'll be allowed it. You can't have it with dinner or anything like that, but we're going to drink wine because we're adults. And mm -hmm. so for me, it was almost like, it was that forbidden fruit and it was mm. something that I strived after. Um, drugs came in as well. Um, when I started going out with my friends about sort of 13, 14, um, it was mostly smoking weed. I never really wanted to, I always feared the sort of the A-class drugs. Um, but my stupid alcoholic brain led mm -hmm. me to um, of snort, snort aspirin. Uh, because you know why would you take it like a normal person of course um, yeah you know uh, because it it thins the blood and gets you drunk quicker it fucking yep. doesn't you know it's solid logic <laughs> it's solid alcoholic logic i get it <laughs> you know and i would do things like that and i you know i'd mix up drinks i think part of being sort of like into heavy metal and and stuff like that um was always like you have to be a big drinker and you have to drink the hard stuff so the first time going out with my friends um i drank four cans of fosters or something and mm. was all right the next time uh, i drank half a bottle of teachers um so teachers is a is a scottish whiskey um, okay they're like they're like 70 centiliter bottles um and i drank half of that on my own in an evening and i would literally come home completely wrecked at sort of mm -hmm. 14 years old um i still remember as well my 16th birthday i had two bottles of um two bottles of vodka uh passed out under a tree um i, I drank the two bottles in two hours um, so it's like one one bottle an hour, um, and they were the seventy centiliter bottles as well. So they're not the small ones. I'm buying the mm. big, well, getting hold of the big bottles of vodka and going for that. I couldn't drink vodka for quite a long time. Um, Why? Because that just the just the smell of the vodka oh, okay. makes me feel sick, and I'm like, no, uh, I've got to try and find another drink um, to try and get over the whole. Because I by that point I'd equate alcohol equals fun and i yes. need to be off my face to have fun otherwise it's, if i can't if i can remember the night then it wasn't fun so then it sounds to me um you know uh the classic sort of like you know the same with me i i took you know an uh an uh, a opiate and it was like i found myself like oh my god here this is me this is what i need to do and it just you know um very quickly it was it was an everyday thing uh you know immediately a problem when i found it and it sounds sem some semi similar with you so then ha uh you know i know it goes for a while but like you know where is your family in this um did you know it was a problem you know um or like for me i knew it was a problem and i knew i was gonna like 
I think it was, you know, like a month into uh, of everyday use, I went, I'm going to die like this. I know this is going to be the end of me. Uh, I'm going to push myself too far one night and that's okay. And, and that was sort of the ethos that I had, <laughs> you know, less than a year into doing my stuff, you know, uh, it, you know, because what I'm, what I'm asking or trying to understand is, you know, it sounds like you're off to the races and um, my family uh, never drank underage. They never, neither of my parents did drugs. Um, my mom smoked pot once when she was, you know, young, young. So they didn't know this, the, the signals, um, you know, and it sounds like, were you a weekend or I'm asking like 20 questions here, but like, you know, how did you hide it? Um, when, when did you realize this was a problem? Um, probably not until my early twenties, um, I realized it was a problem. Um, look at, looking back and sort of reminiscing, um, obviously being a teen, it would have been more weekend drinking like Friday mm -hmm. night, Saturday night. Maybe I'll be able to get out once in the week, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, but I probably only smoked weed in the week. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I noticed looking back, especially doing the fourth step stuff was actually on Monday, we talk about sort of what went on at the weekend and you know laugh and joke about all the stupid stuff that we did um i'd want to know by monday afternoon what we're doing on saturday mm -hmm. and they were like but it's monday like we've only just got over the weekend like yeah i need to know when this next fix is coming like identify. Uh, you know and if i didn't know by wednesday i'd be like what are we doing like where are we going like i need to plan i need to mm -hmm. have all this sort of um in place uh, my family didn't really know a lot they just knew that i might go out and get a bit drunk sometimes mm -hmm. i mean i spoke to my mum recently and we we talked about some of this stuff um i had like a curfew of when i had to be home and i used to hide behind the wall outside my house when i could see the light on in my parents i was like i know i'm going to be like five minutes late but if it's if they've gone to bed they're not going to be up and they're not mm. going to disturb me and then i can wait an hour and then go down to the fridge and i'd always take like two bottles of beer so mm. it didn't look like i'd taken one um, mm. and then i'd dispose of the the bottles afterwards you know in, in a bin down the street or something so I, I was i was hiding it quite a lot um i think when i changed rooms they found stuff like i i'd wedged bottles inside um the chimney breast because you could uh, detach the the grate at the front so I could mm -hmm. hide empty bottles in there. Um, there was a couple under the bed. Um, you know, um, I suppose typical alcoholic behaviour. Um, you know, but I mean, I'm trying to think, it's like I suppose what I did as a as a job when i when i stopped school kind of helped a bit i had a summer job so i always had sort of cash um, okay um so that that was quite handy um always had money about um so i started doing a summer job from the age of 15 um which like none of my other mm -hmm. friends did um and it was quite well paid as well um i'd work at the local private school um in the holidays and we paint classrooms move books mm -hmm. around and bits of paper and you know that was great but it was like seven till two um so in the afternoons i could go and do what i want so mm -hmm. i'd meet up with my friends and it, uh, the first year i think was cash in hand at the end of the week as well so mm. you got like 200 quid at the end of the week and I'm like yes like, yeah yeah um, so i managed to save up stuff and you know it was it was good so then I, I, you know, um, 
obviously, you know, you run for a little while and the alcohol works, uh, you know, because, you know, it, it does for a while and then it stops working. Uh, but you're still in it. Um, you know, how long, you know, when did it become bad? Cause obviously like these things are great in the beginning, <laughs> otherwise we wouldn't do them. You know, it fucking works. It feels good. I'd say like for myself, um, I think, uh, there was a period where, uh, I did the, my first wife, she gave me that ultimatum. She said, you got to stop doing this or, or this is done. And so I stopped, but I was able to smoke weed and stuff like that. Um, but I already was at the point where like, I knew that, um, you know, like I would, I would, uh, I would eat 18 Vicodin in one shot and it would barely do anything, but it would stop the, the aching. And, and that's why when she gave me the ultimatum, I was like, yeah, okay. Okay. You know, I I'm, I'm good with that. And then I had the period for a while where I still smoked weed and did things here and there, but like, I didn't touch opiates. And then obviously the big relapse brought me in. And when was your, okay, this isn't working. It's not giving me what I used to. Um, but I'm, you know, I can't stop yet. I suppose when I started mixing in other substances as well, you know, I'd be going on ecstasy and cocaine and kind of bringing those in to sort of make me last longer in terms of the drinking um, or, or changing the buzz slightly, I suppose. Um, and it was always, I suppose, trying to be with everyone else. I was the, I was the sort of um, the party animal was like, I'd be the first one there and the last one to leave all the time yeah um and i want to be at everything i suppose i had that fear of missing out as well mm -hmm. um but i did miss out quite a lot because i would either black out in the middle or i'd pass out and i mean there were points where someone set fire to me at some point they played like lick it stick it burn it and i had a rizzle stuck to my lip someone set fire to that and of course Wait, I, did. I don't know what lick it stick it burn it is <laughs> okay um, we've got cigarette papers that have got sticky gum on them. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, so you can lick it, you stick it on someone, and then you set fire to it. Um, and that's lick it, stick it, burn it. Okay. Um, so normally people are awake and compass mentors, and you know you stick it on their forehead and set fire to it, and it's funny because ah, there's flames. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put it out, and yeah. But I was passed out on a sofa, and someone stuck it to my lip, and then set fire to it, and I didn't wake up. Um, mm -hmm. So I had a friend had to put it out, and I had I had blisters all on my bottom lip. I singed all my beard and you know um but i kept getting into situations like that i remember um passing out on blackheath a place called the point and uh i drank so much i was throwing up uh but i throw up and i would be um conscious enough to move backwards and then throw up again and then move and i literally did a complete circle to the point where i was gonna get sick in my hair because i was rolling back on the, the mm -hmm. vomit that I'd, I'd done um previously but i kept getting into those situations and it, i didn't know how or why so how far into or what age probably the better question um uh, does that start happening that, that was probably 18 19 20 kind of yeah I'd, I'd get that quite often um and but everyone kind of put it down oh you just went a bit too far or yeah. you know uh, you just had one too many that time but it was all the time and what i found out later on most of my friends only thought i was drinking when i was with them and i was drinking before i met them and i was drinking after i met them and it was like a constant thing and i was literally hiding it from everyone so now that's that's the interesting thing to me um, is 
is that shame coming from other people knowing um, you being ashamed of the actions? Like, uh, you know, because like for me, um, it got bad, you know, like real bad for for like my, you know, probably 16 to 20s, um, you know, uh, like my friends stopped hanging out with me. I was I was, you know, nobody wanted to be around me, but I was ripping and that was better, you know, like because I was the only one that able to keep up with myself. So. Um, and, and I had incredible shame around that because like my best friend, uh, of years was like, nah, dude, I can't, I, I love you, but I'm not doing this. And, but I like kept going, um, because the desire was higher than the, you know, the, the, what I was getting from the drugs was higher than what I was getting from, from the people. Um, you know, and there was incredible shame wrapped around that, but, you know, uh, uh, obviously, you know, the opiates are a little different in the hooks are in, um, you know, and, and at that point I know that like, there's no stopping this. So I might as well just lean in, you know, where does that, uh, shame come from in you to, when you know, like, okay, this is not okay. Is it I, friends? I, I sought out enablers. I sought out enablers when I was drinking and I had like three or four different groups. So I would have one group for like the beginning of the week and one group for the middle of the week and one group for the end. of. So you could be in the different. Oh, yep. oh yeah. I saw you on Wednesday. That was fine. You know, he was yeah. right Wednesday. Oh, he was, oh yeah, he was out on Saturday and they, they didn't necessarily see each other. So you could be like, oh yeah, I was out that week and that, you know, other time. And then like I ended up, um getting a job as an a and r guy for a music promotional company that was doing unsigned showcases and that kind of skyrocketed uh my drinking quite a lot because i'd have to go and seek out bands yeah you know yeah and you get the bands doing you know their their blowouts for sort of once a month and i was doing it sort of you know four or five nights a week um doing you know so i'd join in with them and i'd be drinking heavily and drugs and you know and, and being with the bands because i could offer them something you know yeah um so they would buy me drinks and how know. did that happen I, I didn't know that about you yeah uh, so i was um I went to university down in Bournemouth um, to do a foundation degree in art and design uh, because I wanted to be an illustrator. Um, okay. I was really interested in fairies and goblins and sort of um, sci-fi arts, stuff like that. So that was my, my main goal then. And it wasn't until I got to university and got released from sort of being with my parents that I kind of went, fuck, yes, I can do this all the time um and i ended up in hospital i could never find my key i used to climb in through my roommate's window he wasn't very pleased with that at all especially at three o'clock in the morning when i'm trying to get through a gap that's like i don't know a foot window one of those little slidey windows at the top mm. and i would climb through that um it's quite a skinny guy um I sh nearly shattered my jaw. I snapped my knuckle. I nearly shattered my wrist. Um, and I would get, I was getting some really bad places there because I was left to my own devices mm -hmm. and I'm no good left to my own devices. Mm -hmm. You know, I was basically like a big baby that would just get absolutely shit faced all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was annoying my roommates and it, you know, um, but that was a really destructive 
part of my life for me, not just with the drinking, because my parents then decided to become very involved in what I was doing from a distance. Mm-hmm. So they were checking bank accounts and they were they would ask, well, why are you spending all this money in this bar? Or, you know, why are you doing that? So I would end up having to buy uh, my alcohol from the supermarket so I could pretend to them that I was buying um, groceries. So I wasn't eating properly. I was literally just drinking, smoking weed, taking drugs and doing all that. I didn't actually finish my course. So um, so you graduate high school and go to university. Um, is that uh, OK? And then. Yeah. And it was it was while I was there, one of the guys was doing um, events management and he okay. was running the company that. Uh, did the unsigned showcases and because I love music so much uh, music's always been part of who I am and Mm -hmm. it will always always going to be with me Um, so he said because I knew some bands he was like oh I'm struggling to get bands for this do you know anyone so I was like yeah I know quite a few bands here's x y and z and we would the so basically the bands had 165 tickets that they had to sell it was a like a 1500 capacity venue it was Mm -hmm. the it was the mean fiddler or the la2 london astoria 2 so it's a really well-known music venue um he would line up some sort of record producers or whatever Mm -hmm. a&r guys to come and check out the bands and i would do that so literally i would go out and 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 find find bands um I found one that actually got signed. Well, I have two that got signed. One got signed to an independent label. Um, they were called the Inbreds. Um, okay. They were a heavy metal band. One actually got signed. I didn't actually sign them up. Um, I found the lead singer to be really pushy and it was really desperate to to get on to do this thing. Yeah. And it was one of those, I was like, no, you're too pushy. I, um, and yeah, it was signed, it signed Kelly. And he put like kisses at the end and I'm like, okay, that's a bit too involved for me. Um, and then two months later they were signed to Virgin and they're called block party. <laughs> Do they still make music? Any uh, of these I, two? Uh, I don't think the inbred is still going block party actually won like a Grammy or something. Block oh, wow. Party that's amazing. Huge. They were <laughs> like number one and yeah, block party were massive. Um, and annoyingly I was kind of kicking myself cause I could have got a percentage of their contract, but you know, yeah. um, such is life. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Now uh, I'm jumping all over the place, but I, I do yeah. have, um, you know, I, it, it will make sense when we get to the, to where we're going. Um, did you, you know uh what i know is you uh you said it in here your your uh, biological father left at three um and obviously that makes abandonment um did you uh, with that uh did you grow up with any religion in your family um any you know anything like that i went to a church of england school um so I got to be rebellious there, you know, um, singing Cucumber, my Nord, uh, instead of Kumbaya, you know, um, oh. there was all bits like that, um, which were quite funny. My mum met my stepdad when I was five. Um, okay. So I still remember to this day standing behind um, the chimney breast when he came in to sort of have a date with my mum at home. And I'm in my pajamas with my wellies on with my dressing gown over my shoulder because I was Superman. Um, that was one of the things I actually thought about in my re- in my recovery doing my fourth step as well, that 
I wanted to be like the superhero. I'd always be fancy dress, uh, you know, He-Man, Lion-O, um, Superman. I always wanted to be the superhero. I always wanted to be somebody else. And, okay. Never, never me. That was, I was going to ask why, because, um, and maybe you just answered it, uh, you know, were you, hoping to maybe save your mom, um, save yourself, or was it truly based in, you know, just the uncomfortableness in your skin? I think, I think it was the uncomfortableness in my skin. Yeah. Um, I, I had a very loving home. I really did have a loving home. Um, my grandparents lived next door to, to my mum, Um, so there was always family there. Um, my uncle would come round with his two kids. Um, his son was uh, a year older and his daughter was a year younger. So the family was always there. I mean, even now we go on family holidays to the same location. The last family photo we had on the beach, there was 32 of us all wow. related. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, we don't necessarily all get on all the time, but as a family, we were um, massive. I mean, the my grandparents' house, I visited there today actually, because my mum's birthday's on Tuesday. She's 65 on Tuesday. Um, but my nan was born in the house she lives in now. Uh, my granddad wow. was uh, grew up um, two doors down in the block of flats. Um, we did my nan's family tree and she'd moved 250 meters in five generations. 250 oh my God. meters <laughs> is not far at all. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> um, um, like across so, yeah. the street. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Um, so every, everyone's always been there. My nan had uh, like four brothers. So for family events, everyone would descend on my grandparents' house. And because we were next door, like, and you had the two houses, it was great. So like Christmases, it was all my cousins and, you know, all family, um, they were all there. And it was amazing. Like I, I loved that kind of time. But even then I was drinking and, you know, um, there wasn't so much drugs, but you could get away with it because there's mm -hmm. so many people about that, you know, you could sneak things and no one would really notice. So I always, when I, you know, uh, picture, because I don't have a big family, we, we, we have a, a quite a, a small extended family, even, um, even when I was younger, a lot of them have died now, but, um, um, you know, I always sort of think I, I relate big families like that to uh, religion, not one religion, but just like I kind of immediately bias to like, oh, well, there's probably had to be uh, uh, religion tied into that. You know, uh, is that true? Not really. I mean, my mum got my mum was more of a white witch before I was born. She denies it a bit now, but she said it quite a lot. She still does crystals and spells okay. and and things like that even now. But she would still consider herself a Christian. I think that's okay. to do with the fact that she equates Christianity to good, um, whereas <laughs> things like Wicca or you know the stuff she's into would be considered you know bad. She's basically she's an accountant. Um, she started work at the same at Shell. Uh, at the age of 18 and went all the way up to retirement um, wow. working in the same company. So you don't really hear that very much anymore. Yeah, at all. No. But when, when, when she met my stepdad um, who I do call dad incidentally, cause you know, he was the one that put shoes on my feet. Um, but they started going to church and they would go to church on a Sunday and I would go to Sunday school. They never really forced anything on me, but they mm. had to get me to go to Sunday school so they could go to church. Mm. So I was really excited when my brother came along when I was 10 uh, because it gave me an opportunity to get out of going to Sunday school because I never really enjoyed it. Why uh, did your brother get you out of that? 
because I could look after him. Oh, uh, okay. Um, I okay. Got, I got two hours of looking after my my younger brother when he was sort of one or something. So I would have been 11 um, with my grandparents, obviously next door. Um, my parents were okay with me looking after my younger brother. Um, so we'd watch films or stuff and I get paid 10 pounds to look after my brother and not go to Sunday school. Fucking result. <laughs> but no, religion was never forced on me. So, so then, um, pre uh getting into you now you know the satanism and developing that what was the concept of god to ben you know during addiction and even before that like have you always had an adversarial relationship uh you know uh what you know um did it mean something or not no, it never really cropped up, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, I mean, I remember being at primary school and learning about Henry VIII. Um, Henry, where I grew up, um, Henry VIII was born there. So was Elizabeth I. Um, so there's a big sort of history of the, the royal family um, where I am in Greenwich. Um, so we learned about um, Henry VIII and he was a he was a catholic and they wouldn't let him divorce so he decided to make up his own religion as in the the church of england so he could get a divorce and i remember sitting there in primary school and went he just made that up so but he's not but so if you don't follow the rules properly then it's rubbish like so i was like if you're not going to follow the rules properly then why do it at all and i kind of carried that mindset on okay throughout throughout the rest of my life so i'd never really thought about religion other than sort of that point so it was then when coming into aa and they're like you have to have a higher power i'm like well i'm not having that guy that's for sure because i have to follow that rule book properly otherwise not at all and i don't agree with the rule book so i'm not following that i need to find a different one and then went shopping and that's why i went to the the sort of norse gods first of all so yeah now so Ben doesn't um, really care about the uh, God as a concept, it sounds. And then you get thrown into the rooms and uh, they're telling you you find one. And then you went uh, down the Odinism path. How do you find that? You know, because that's um, now with movies and just, you know, like general consciousness of, of, of society, uh, you know, the various religions are more well known, but back then I'm, you know, the, at least in my, you know, when I, when I was, you know, back then around the same age, probably that's not even like a concept, you know, to me. So like, how does that enter your being? I suppose I was always interested in, um, magic and the occult. It's always, it's always been there. You know, I remember being like five years old, six years old in the garden and mixing up spells in a bucket, you know, with bits of mud and shit like that with wooden sticks. And I suppose it comes into that fantasy element. Um, and although I was a sporty kid, like I was on the football team, I was on the cricket team. I did well at sport because I come from a sporting family. Um, I never really fitted in with the jocks um so i would end up with the nerdy kids um because mm -hmm. i i kind of bridged the gap i was a, not quite bright to be in a really bright group mm -hmm. i wasn't quite sporty enough to be in with the really sporty kids um i wasn't musically talented to be in with the musical group but i liked music obviously um i was good at art 
um but i wasn't really into the same art that everyone else was um mm. so i never really fitted into any of the groups mm -hmm. so mm. I, with the with the nerdy group i ended up playing warhammer um okay. so it's fancy it's basically like yeah. D, D, I suppose yeah. um fantasy based but i got really into doing the painting um to the point where it actually made me sick i remember being off school for three weeks with bronchitis because i was actually eating some of the paint because i was making sure i was getting the paintbrush really nice and thin to yep, get it i still but, um, i do that yeah i got so obsessed with it um that actually one of the warhammer shops uh asked to buy some of my stuff off me so they could put uh -huh. it on display because i mean i i love doing all the paint stuff with it um i've still got a four thousand point chaos dwarf army in my parents loft. yeah you you showed um, me some photo i don't know if it's that one but you showed me some photos yeah 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 that, that's that's part of the stuff um but uh so i won't i won't ever go back to playing warhammer because out of all the armies they reissued they didn't reissue the chaos dwarfs <laughs> which is my army and i'm not going to do it again i'm not going to play warhammer again until they reissue the chaos dwarfs and I, i've actually stopped looking because i can't be bothered <laughs> you know <laughs> so does so then um you know sort of uh the you know now it's like i would say popular media but like the sort of the, that's where you get the concept of the magic in general from the board games the the you know that past sort of uh fantasy uh is the word for it that kind of introduces that to you yeah there were there was wizards and stuff in in the warhammer and that led me to go then there's a shop in greenwich called stepping stones which wasn't it was like a short walk from my parents and i would go in there and i'd look at it was more like a hippie dippy new age mm -hmm. thing so i'd go in there and they'd have the crystals and they'd have some books on performing spells i actually still think i've got some of the spell books somewhere from when i was like 15 they were the mm -hmm. um really nice um textured covers and there was like a love one and a health one and you know i'd get that so my mum would talk to me about bits that she'd done in terms of her magic and what she was into she had friends that were more into the magic than she was um but i kind of got into that sort of around 14 15 um trying the idea of looking at spells i i think as well with um being an only child for so long, there was a sense of loneliness and yeah. wanting to be loved. Mm -hmm. So that's probably why I looked more towards the love spells. Um, I think I had an issue as well with the color of my hair. Um, okay. I was a I was a real redhead as a kid, uh -huh. and um, in the UK, um, that's that's like number one for being teased you're going to be picked yep. on for being the redhead um it's not very different here my brother is redhead and yeah they i mean he endless teasing uh as uh, as a kid yeah and i think as well one of the things like at primary school i was quite popular um you know big fish small pond and then mm. you get chucked into um secondary school here um which is 11 to 18 and you small fish big pond um and i kind of lost that whole sense of hang on a minute no not everyone knows who i am kind of thing um so i i suppose within that there was a loss of sense of self so yeah. I tried to do things in terms of the magic to help me find or, you know, get people to gravitate towards me to maybe give me a sense of who I was. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's always been there in the background, bumbling okay. along. Um, I definitely do magic more now. I've got a mm -hmm. much more rigid structure now to my magic than ever.
so then that uh you know um the odinism and the tribal nature in that sort of pushed you away from um that path um how do you find how what is the moment or or uh you know motivating thing that brings satanism to your recovery i think it was the whole idea of if i'm not going to do odinism i'm not going to do christianity i reread the satanic bible and i kind of um or before i was like i i kind of want to go for the satanism but i don't want to have to believe in their god to believe i've got that whole reverse christianity thing yeah yeah going, yeah um which is obviously very much as i feel the entry level um so then when i reread the satanic bible i was like actually haha i don't have to don't have to believe in their god i just have to believe in the concept of myself as the satan um so it was sitting in the rooms then um and that whole idea of use the rooms as your higher power so i was sitting in a chair much in the same like this one and i kind of went well if you read the sagas the norse gods manifest in human form mm -hmm. maybe everybody in this room is a norse god manifest in human form meant to give me a message because i'm that important obviously um and then i kind of went well if you look at it from a, a jungian perspective or a psychological perspective then each of the norse gods are actually part of my psyche reflected back at me so now i'm sitting in a room with all the aspects of my my psyche so if i get to understand them and get to know them then i can control them so now i'm god or the satan sitting in my throne and they're all my angels and my demons in front of me so you know i can have an anger demon and a confidence angel if you want to look at it like that as a positive and negative um and so then it was like okay you know when my anger comes up now the anger demon comes up i can go right you time out in the corner sit down go over there we need to be calm and confident in this situation so we can get the best out of it and then i can go back and go anger why did you come up what did that come from and that's essentially doing like your fourth step stuff and, and yeah bringing in the that kind of resentment thing looking at where that came in um so i was kind of compartmentalizing things and bringing in sort of i suppose the archetypal type of thinking but having a polytheistic idea around that concept um so i was bringing in the norse stuff with the idea of um satanism at that point um so that's kind of where i went full on and okay i'm going to research more into the idea of satanism it the, the way you explain that it sounds like that's a a moment um was, yeah. not a you know something that happens over time so that moment that happened um was that from you or was the rooms like the you know the general ethos of the rooms like you know you got to get a guy because for like my experience was you have to find a god you have to you have to get a god you have to get a god you're doing the steps and by the time you get to four you have to get a god so i started like you know like ah you know th pulling things into my consciousness to try and see what would fit um or was that you sitting there you know did it truly come from only you and this <laughs> sort of the way you explain it is a beautiful you know revelation or is it you know a sponsor or somebody in the room saying you know hey god hey you got to get a god 
Yeah, I think it was actually a chair. They were talking about using the rooms as a higher power and it was during the chair that it kind of all twigged. I was really kind of slow and bumbling in my recovery was I didn't get a sponsor straight away at all. I literally sat in the rooms for ages and, and listened and didn't really share. Um, I must have been, I can't think, I must have been about a year in without having a sponsor or just kind of white knuckling things and, you know, just bumbling along to the meetings and going, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it and see how it goes. Cause I was always sort of on the outside anyway. I never wanted to commit to things, you know, mm. um, <clears throat> I'd go, I'd be quiet. I'd shut up. I'd sit, I'd listen, I'd share a bit. Um, I, I think I actually, in my second meeting, I said, my name's Ben, I'm an alcoholic. It was one of the, the, the meeting I did on a, on a Monday was quite funny. It was one of the whole holding hands groups. And, you know, um, you know, uh, it always reminds me of the film about a boy, um, okay. where you got, um, Hugh Grant, you know, um, single parents alone together. And it was like, yeah, uh, it was when I, you do the like, serenity prayer at the end and it, it works if you work it and everyone's yeah. holding hands and I'm like, yeah. fuck this. I feel like a right dick. Um, but it works, you know, it worked for me and it kept me coming back. And it was, uh, because I had regular meetings as people would check in and oh, how mm -hmm. you doing? And I'd have conversations. I got more out of the rooms a lot of the time from the conversations before and after the meeting mm -hmm. than I did in the meeting. Um, because I could have, be one-on-one -on -one and actually have proper conversations. Um, but yeah, I kind of, yeah, I did white knuckle it, I suppose for a good year before I decided to ask someone to be a sponsor. So um, now that, um, you know, obviously we both know what, you know, the white knuckle experience is. Yeah. And for me, like I white knuckled and I relapsed over and over and over. And then I realized, okay, like this isn't working, you know, like the, the, I, same with you. I did not want to commit because I didn't really want to stop. I knew I had to, but I didn't want to. Um, and then like my first sponsor, he came up and basically, you know, forced himself on me and I'm grateful for that. Um, but like, and then that's when, when he did that, uh, then, things started to make sense and it got a little bit easier. And then I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. I get why. Um, what, what makes you go, okay, I'm not going to keep holding on. I'm going to ask for help. I think I wanted a connection with the person that I was going to ask to be a, a sponsor. Um, and I ended up, um, asking someone that was like a friend of a friend um, that I randomly met in the rooms. He was a skater. Um, he was a punk. Um, he was a boxer as well. Um, and we kind of connected. Um, I ended up getting to step three with him um, before we parted ways. Um, and it was more because we were more like friends than anything. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah. Um, so I needed someone that was kind of different from who I was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same. So I ended up asking someone that, um, actually on my first meeting invited me to my second meeting. So my first meeting was on a Sunday and he said, Oh, there's a meeting tomorrow up the road. You should come to the meeting tomorrow. And I was like, oh, okay, then I'll see what I can do. Uh, and I ended up going and they became my two regular meetings. So I would do two meetings a week from the beginning. I'd sort of, I really white knuckle it during the week. So like, let's see if how I can hang on. Like I knew I could do a period of time because I, um, going back, I could do the sort of, just drink at the weekends and mm -hmm. by the end of my drinking i i tried to kind of i'd managed to kind of claw it back to sort of just doing the weekends so i knew that if i could get through the week i had the sunday and the monday and then i mm -hmm. could kind of you know 
released the grip for a bit um, and then kind of stepped back into it. Um, but uh, yeah, so I asked him and we literally did it from a Christian perspective and he would sort of, he would ask me questions about my concept of a higher power. And that for me was really important. And that's why when I do step work now with a sponsee, I make sure I keep all that in um, because you need to be questioned. Um, I agree. I agree. And, and that's why I do a lot of things now where I make myself, un I put myself in uncomfortable situations so that people question what I believe um, because it reinforces actually the fact that, yeah, I do agree with that. And it makes me think about it as well. Why am I actually believing that? Mm -hmm. You know, is this actually doing something for me or am I just doing it because it's comfortable? I totally agree because I, you know, as you know, I had a sponsee and, and they did not want to even talk about and they only wanted to go, you know, satanic recovery of like the the way that I have my recovery now where there is no God in it. It's I'm the, the God. And I tried to convince like I'm not pushing this on you and I'm not telling you to, but we need to talk about it because like we don't think about, you know, um, it, it makes me think of this comedian. He talks about like, uh, it's a very amazing joke. His name is Daniel Slauson and the special is X. And I highly recommend whoever's listening to this and yourself to watch it because it's, it's very amazing. Um, but like the, the, the summary of the joke is like when we're 14 or 15, something happens, something traumatic event or just some major event cements an idea in our minds. And then we file that in a, in, you know, uh, we file, that back there and then 10 years later something comes up in a discussion or something happens and you pull that file out but that's 10 fucking years old you haven't updated that information and so then you're working in you're working with you know old information you need to look at what you truly believe and and update that uh in in your consciousness because like you know, they're, they're, uh, you know, like the, um, like a, a great example is like the word, the word fag, like the, when I was a kid, that was okay to say it was, you know, it was, it was, it was, you know, a very, uh, in jest, but it was completely acceptable to call somebody that. And I held on to that for a while until I updated that information and talked to people. And I was like, Oh no, that's incredibly hurtful. I'm going to drop that from my language. Um, you know, so I totally agree that uh, the looking at, at looking at it like that. So then you do one, two, three from a Christian perspective, right? No, he was more. He was an atheist. The the one, two, three was an atheist. Uh, but I did the okay, full. Sorry. I did the. I did the full twelve steps uh, from Christian perspective. Okay, so then, um, how do you now the bend now with your path and and this very well formulated thing? Uh, how do you feel about? that um you know was there a war going on inside of you or were you know because like i still have this um childish emotional reaction when um you know uh people attach god to me i don't mind it with other people but when i you know uh, uh especially with the steps like I, i'll get this ah, you know and I, i'm getting better at it but like did you have that struggle or were you desperate enough to just keep doing it or was it working did you like being uncomfortable doing that stuff 
Well, I, th- I think my sponsor was good in the fact that he didn't push the Christianity on me, but he always he always went down the Christian route because like, I've only done it from a Christian perspective. Your higher power can be whatever. We did have a good, like, uh, I remember sitting in a garden and we were having a discussion about, you know, where do things come from? And I was hitting him with all the like science and stuff like that and he's like no no, where did that come from and i was like yeah but your ultimate thing is we don't know so god and i'm like but you know i don't know so pink fairy squirrel in the corner well fucking it's the same same result isn't it um so yeah um it was good to have that question but yeah he never went you have to have a christian god to 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 do this um which was good i suppose but yeah we had to do all the silly prayer things beforehand and i'm like this is rubbish like surely we can skip that bit and actually get to the root cause of what we're doing in the step and that's kind of where things come from it's like i i get that you're overlaying it and you know icing the cake with christianity but if we got rid of that what what are the ingredients that go into making the cake? And that's what I was more interested in at that point. And I, I identify that with that. And I, and I, um, my first sponsor that took me through, um, I think we got to like 11 and then that's when he fired me. But I, you know, um, uh, I, I did the whole steps. He was a Jesuit. Um, it like, super into Jesuit. Um, and he never pushed it on me, but we did all of the stuff and I prayed and he told me when we did, when I finished my fourth to go home, my four and five, he told me go home and pray and do the thing. You know, I did all the prayers and I did them. I tried, I, you know, I, I was desperate enough where it's like, I'm going to die if I don't do this, you know, cause everybody in the room said it, you know, and I knew that my path was going to lead. So I was just like, fuck it. I'm desperate enough and i went home and i prayed and i tried it i tr- i really fucking did even though i'm like i'm a satanist and and i believe in science this isn't this isn't going to work but i'm gonna drop that fucking pre-notion and i'm gonna give it a try and i'm glad that i that he had me do that because then when i did the steps again with my sponsor now without god um like you were saying, it made me look at that. Like I tried and and the value of that was at the end of it, I went there. Like I was more concrete in my beliefs because I, I fucking did it. I tried and there was nothing. So now then get to, like you were saying, the ingredients of it. Um, and then like, you know, I mean, I did my, my steps the second time and I had only just did the steps with my sponsor beforehand. So we kind of, you know, went through it quickly, but, uh, you know, it was like two sessions, maybe like eight hours total, you know, um, and, and without the God, just taking all that out, it kind of does go really fast. And I yeah. was like, ah, uh, it didn't feel like I did it. You know, when I did it the first time, it, it took a long time. It took hours upon hours because we had to have those discussions, um, now, so you finish the steps, it sounds like, and then the the Satanism starts getting worked into it. No, I actually going through like with the with the prayers, I actually wrote uh two of them in the book, actually. Um, so when I got told you know, to pray on it, I was like, all right, I'm not getting on my knees because fuck that. Like I, I if if I do, I'm gonna do one knee in like a sort of uh an odidic uh way. Okay. and I, I did the whole um hail thor um which is actually written in the book uh and went through that uh and that would be something that i would try and say in the morning so i'd brush my i'd lock myself in the bathroom i brush my teeth and i do like hail thor in the mirror 
like so I could look myself in the eyes and kind of say it. And then I got bored with that. Um, and then I brought in um, something from the satanic scriptures um mm -hmm. which was the so and i'd say i had it written out and i'd say it on the way to work so it was like hail satan full of my our allegiances with thee cursed are they the god adorers and cursed are the worshippers of the nazarene enrich uh, unholy satan bring over enlightenment lead us lend us thy power now and throughout the hours of our lives shem ham for us and I would say that every day on the way to work. Um, so I was bringing that that in um, after sort of going through doing the doing the steps um, because I didn't. I'm never going to go and do a Christian prayer. Like when we were doing the steps, because I was with my sponsor, I would um, respect his views and go, okay. Yeah. I'm going to do it because this is the way you want me to do it. Sure. But I'm not going to go home and say a Christian prayer because I think it's bollocks. Mm -hmm. I'll find something that fits with my views and, and I'll do that. So he's like, did you pray? Yeah, I did. I did that one. Um, and, you know, he's, he was fine with that because I was staying sober. Um, and I think that was important. It's not the fact that I was doing it the, the way he said. I was doing what he said, but I was doing it the way that I yeah. felt most comfortable with. So then when does the like comfort um in in doing you know uh, using your satanism in the steps like cuz cuz i am I'm, I'm assuming um that it's sort of wishy-washy at first you're not like on concrete ground and then there's a moment or like you know a culmination of moments that it sort of feels like okay this now makes sense for me and rinse and repeat. What what does that look like? I think in terms of that sponsor, we kind of really drifted apart uh, at that point. And then I was again, I was sponsorless. So I was still going to meetings or something. And then I met um, Tim, who's uh, mentioned in the book. And I remember his share quite vividly because he said in the chair, um, He's a son of a preacher and he said, I'd rather fucking pray to Satan than I would pray to God. Um, and he was into um, chaos magic and paganism. I'm like, you're the dude for me. <laughs> you're the dude for me. And I went up to him and went, will you be my sponsor? And then we met uh, once a week and he was like, do you want to go through the steps? So I showed him all my step and he's like, we well, don't really need to go through the steps so we can keep looking at like doing the, the temp step stuff and going yeah. through what's going on now and, and sort of working through that. And we kind of really encouraged each other. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, it was really quite good. Um, so, you know, we'd have discussions like, oh, you could throw in a ritual in there or you could do this. And I, I think within that, we kind of brought each other out of our shells. Mm -hmm. So I kind of pushed more into the um, Satanism side and, and that he um, drifted more into the magical side. And actually um, about two years ago, um, we culminated and came back together as um, a bigger collective of some people that were in recovery and some people that weren't and actually did an eight month um, ritual program um, with someone that was from the OTO. Um, so there's a Thelemic group, so based on um, mm -hmm. Crowley, Crowley's magic. Um, and that's really kind of cemented our own um, individual magical styles from that, which has been actually quite amazing. Um, so he's gone more towards um, 
Thelema and working with sort of Babylon and I've kind of gone I've brought in more planetary based stuff and really kind of got more involved in tarot and looking back at the runes and having a proper daily practice within that um because I'd never really had a daily practice other than sort of saying like the, the affirmation stuff that would come and go. I'd always do, I'd always pick a rune every day, like mm. every day from sort of like three months into recovery or something, maybe even at the beginning, I made sure I went and bought myself a set of runes and I would do a rune every day. Um, when I do my evening prayer, I actually originally used the fairy Oracle and I I'd pick a fairy card. So like the tarot kind of thing, I know it's uh, an Oracle deck rather than a tarot deck, but okay. those kind of things have, always been with me in my recovery um not so much um at the forefront but sort of really underpinning everything um so kind of going back to them and re-looking them and revisiting them has been has been quite good and now i'm actually in a really good solid space with like the magic and the tarot and the runes and all that kind of stuff so so i i and i i will i will i want to talk about that but um when does the idea um, to write the book, you know, um, like not, not when, um, why does that motivation come out in, in you uh, to say, okay, I'm going to formulate this into, uh, you know, a, a book, you know, the, the, the sort of instruction sheets that you have, you know, what, what motivated you to do that? Uh, did you do it already? Cause you were doing it for yourself and you're like, Oh shit. Okay. Or, you know, um, was some, did a, did a moment or an experience happen where you're like, okay, this needs to be shared. I, I wanted to, um, I wanted to go back into my Satanism properly and become part of a satanic group. Um, so I did some research. I was interested in Church of Satan. Um, there was no TST at the time. If it was, they were very, very small. Um, and I remember talking to a guy that was proper old school Church of Satan. And I was asking him ideas. Um, he ran a company called Ave Satanus. Um, I've got a couple of the t-shirts. They were, uh, heavy metal festival that i was at and i was able to talk to him and his and his wife um they'd turn up in like a hearse and they'd open up their stall and they'd sell Sweet. like ave satanist stuff they were really cool but they because they were old school satanists they weren't like you have to follow this and you have to do that it's like explore that idea and that's kind of what i really liked i also was able to talk to um gavin badley a bit um who's an occult author um i had a bit of a chat with him and he came, he was the same kind of old school church of satan idea where i suppose there's a lot of online stuff where the church of satan guys all like no it has to be levee or nothing um yeah. and it gets really boring but mm -hmm. because they were the old school they were like you need to explore it don't yeah. just take that on on that level like go and look at things and see where you end up um so that was really good. And I, I really liked that way of thinking. So that's when I ended up um, finding cause or the church of rational Satanism it was UK based and they seem relatively active. I joined some online groups like forums and Facebook groups and stuff like that. And the people that I resonated with or that were saying the things that I thought um, were intelligent were all affiliated with that one group. 
So I was like, okay, I'll I'll read the literature and see what it's like. I read the first book and I was like, oh, okay, mm. maybe I'm not sure. And but it left me going. I need to read the second book um, because I like that concept of ninety percent, ten percent thinking. Yeah. Like that actually, that actually kind of went. I need to I need to read that book. Um, so I got that book, uh, read that, and I, I still wasn't a member at that point. Um, I was like, okay, like it makes a bit of sense, but there's, there's still missing a bit of weight. Um, and then they dropped future-proof adaptability and okay. difference in the, the quality of the writing, the difference in the actual substance of that book was like, okay, that's for me now. That, okay. that That's where I fit. So I joined not long after that came out. I think it was 2015. Um, and and kind of got in there but it so it was in those different satanic groups where you'd have people bitching about being in recovery oh i've got to do aa shit aa doesn't work and i'm mm. like no it does mm-hmm. but you're just not looking at it right mm-hmm. and then i'd be in the rooms and people would mention god i'd still sort of crawl up the walls backwards when people did their you know um you know a bit in the exorcist i you know my head was spinning around and i spew green vomit at everyone like someone said the word god um i don't use god and it's like you know and i had to look at me that's on me like that's not on them they're telling their truth it's me that has to filter it through my and i suppose i suppose i got a little bit annoyed with the filtering thing like the the slayer album god hates us all was uh, that was right at the top of my list on my iPod as soon as I came out of a meeting. I was like, fucking, I've got to get that shit out of my head because um, it's going to infect me. Um, I'm going to start <laughs> thinking like them and I don't want to think like them, you know. Um, so, yeah, I do that quite a lot after a meeting. Like, i got to, got to just get the God stuff out. Um, but uh, so it was then getting told in the rooms, you can't do this without a Christian God by the by the the sort of the fundamentalist christians or the aa hardcore and then going in the satanic groups and they're going you can't do this without a christian god and i'm like but you fucking can like Mm. it is completely possible and then i started looking up you know um the the different groups and how they how they view the steps and then i came across like this is the so-and-so step this is the wiccan steps Mm -hmm. and they they changed all the words Mm -hmm. and i'm like so that means now i've got to sit in a room with my different piece of paper and when someone goes step two i have to go hang on a minute what does step two actually mean on this one and i'm like okay that's different from that so i've got to look at that and then oh step 11 oh what does step 11 mean in this one well that's slightly and i was like the steps are on the wall the steps work because I've done the steps. I just have to look at them differently. So it was that whole idea of if you actually go through the steps and look at them from a satanic perspective without changing the words, they're going to work. Yeah. Um, so it was that kind of idea. And then it was it was John who was one of the chairman uh, at Cause. It was like you should actually like start doing some writing maybe. Um, so I bumbled through a bit. Um, I think they wanted actually to get some more content for the uh, for the course group because it was a bit quiet. Like you should write something. Like just just write what you're feeling. And I was really nervous. I was dyslexic. I didn't feel confident enough in knowing anything about or mm-hmm. enough about Satanism. So I bumbled something out, and you know it was okay. And then I was like, oh, that got 
quite a good reception. I should write a bit more. And then my writing progressed. Uh, I got more confident in what I was saying. Um, I did more research and, and got into that. And it kind of all progressed from there. And it, it was John that was like, you should actually start looking at formulating a whole thing for that and, and grouping it together um because you've got something that might actually work there and i ran it through my sponsor as well and he's like yeah, yeah that's a, that's a really good idea mm -hmm. he's like i i definitely buy that like if, if that came out like i definitely buy it so it was like, all right so i kind of looked at things and piecing things together and it actually took like two years of research and writing and getting it to a point where i thought it was it was okay um and then i had to go through the editing process and oh fuck that was fun <laughs> yeah well that's, you were talking about the that was the white light moment in your book uh, you know it's it's right up in the first part and i'm sitting down and reading it i i have I, I struggle with reading i'm i can l hear something and it's in it's locked in forever but reading is difficult so i i take books in chunks and uh i did that with yours and and that that section was in my first chunk and i bawled my eyes out because i was like oh my god like holy shit this okay okay i can do this because at the moment i'm like or at that time i'm i'm like i'm just I, i'm just gonna use this as an emergency handle and i'm not gonna go to these meetings anymore unless i really need to which is for me is a really bad plan and then that click i'm like okay because you were saying uh, of the different paths i was my the my sponsor's atheist meeting there's a really wonderful uh uh older woman there and um when i was going through my steps she gave me i have it somewhere i forget the but it's basically like um uh sort of a buddhist nature approach and they changed the whole steps and i dig it i really do i read the whole thing and it's short too which it was very digestible and but it didn't click because it's a, I'm the same thing. Like I'm going, I already feel like a fucking outsider in these meetings. And now I even more have to, and like, I can't share about my stuff. So then in my mind, I'm also rewriting like that. that that's not going to work for me. So that was like the key part where then I was like, okay, I'm, I, and then, you know, normally I take it in chunks. I really consumed it the first time. And then I went back and I jumped around and, you know, uh, you know, went through, I think the, you know, I think it was like three or four times in, in a very short period of time, which is not how I read. Um, and then, so, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So then you get this book done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, the second part of what I wanted to say was I, I, I know that it took you time because the other very appealing thing to me was the science in your book. Um, the citations, um, because like, you know, I, I, science is the ultimate truth for me. Uh, you know, and I, you know, I've always felt that anything I don't understand, like I fell in physics, fell in love with physics when I was young, it was acid most likely, um, uh, that really like got me into it. But like, it's like, and that's why I have them tattooed all over me because that is the ultimate truth. That is, if there is a God, that's it that's the you know that's the answer right there and i can hold that and i can understand that and it can be done and that's a truth i need a truth and that truth might change and that's okay you know that that's good science is to, is to update your stuff so and that's what i really like i love there uh, i forget i um 
the there's like a whole there's like four pages of of this long paragraph uh, or long section uh, uh, that you pulled out of science and then you give your some summation at the end and I'm like I fucking love this um, so then you write the book and uh, does that does culminating it all together into a book. Um, what does that feel like? I'm assuming it's got to sort of make it feel more concrete to you because you really analyzed your thing and you you wrote instructions for you, um, you know, but what does that feel like when it's all done and it's released and out? Uh, do you have any doubt uh, about anything or, you know, what, what sort of emotions did you go through in that after the book is done, after the editing? Fear. <laughs> there was a lot of fear. Um, what if it's shit? What if no one likes it? What if people pick holes in it? Um, you know, um, what if I miss something? Um, what if it's complete rubbish? And, you know, um, the, the, one of the really good things about doing the editing was actually I got my my stepdad um, dad to to edit the book. And he knows nothing about Satanism. He knows nothing about addiction. So it was really helpful going through things with mm. him because um, he was coming from a really outsider perspective. He was like, I don't understand that. And I was like, what do you mean you don't understand it? It's really simple. Look, you do X, Y, Z. And it's like, I still don't get it. And I was like, F -f and we would literally have arguments for hours. Like, it's really fucking simple. It's like this, 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 and this. And he's like, no, I still don't get it. So um, it was really good doing that because it meant it was um, digestible for people that were even mm -hmm. sort of coming in new so that was really helpful but the the first edition that came out there was loads of errors in it there was loads and loads of errors in it it was released through cause and i i didn't i didn't i was embarrassed by the first one i'll, I'll admit that mm. um and i didn't want to share it with people so i mm. didn't really push it at all um and then I started doing the human library and I actually met someone that um, edited books and um, they help people produce their own books. So I was like, okay, would you be like, I've got this thing that is all right, but mm -hmm. it could be a lot better. Like, how could you help me make it a better product? Um, and that's when it, um, we went through it, we re-edited it, we changed bits, we added in thing like a, a few little extra bits um we changed the the way it looked and the layout um added in some fancy bits um i actually called her the book sexer upper um because essentially what she did she sexed up the book yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, she she pimped it out and um yeah and that's when we decided okay let's get it on like ingram sparks and and let's get it on amazon and then it just went fucking boom um like for for something that essentially has no publicity whatsoever mm -hmm. like the the sales on it have been like quite amazing um and i'm i'm amazed that it's done so well with with nothing driving it I, yeah, I, uh, first I want to say, um, I've bought the book twice and give, uh, given it to two people who are re very religious, um, friends that, you know, in recovery and both of them, uh, have, have texted me and said like, this is probably the, like, I don't dig the Satanist part, you know, be, uh, the, the, uh, you know, because they believe in God. So they were like, I, the Satanist part makes me feel a little, you know, weird, but this is the best 
book I've ever read on recovery. And I, I see why this works for you, you know? So like, you know, the, the, I want to, it is very digestible. It's very, um, that's what I appreciate is it's very simple. Like the AA book, I, I, I love the big book. I, I do. I'm, I'm eternally grateful that it was made, but it, Still, I, I've read it a shitload of times. I've had people read it to me. I've done studies and stuff. You know, I've read, I've listened to fucking audiobooks over and over about like the the, the thing and breaking down things. And it's still fucking confusing. Now, uh, a lot of that has to do with the verb, uh, the verbiage that they use because it's changed. But like, it, even still, like I know all of that. And I had a dictionary at one point and I went uh, from that time. And I did the one, one of my sponsors at one point made me do that. All the words I didn't understand, look it up in the 19th. 40s dictionary i think and that helped but like still it's like it's almost like a different language um and you know like we at the beginning of the meetings we read that paragraph from um uh we agnostics i'm glad that we do but it always gets me because it seems like they're um you know, like putting on airs for for no reason, like the the when therefore, like you could have written that written that um in a in a much easier way for everybody to understand. Because like just the first time I heard it, I'm like, huh, wait, and I have to go back, and that's what I appreciate. It's very straightforward. So then now it, that's uh, another sort of um thing that, that I wanted to ask was you it's it's doing well and and I'm you know glad because I don't think I would have found it if if it wasn't but did that when you did the second edition did it um you know blow up right away did it take time um you know uh uh like you know did you did the second edition come out and it was out for a year and then it started going or was it sort of like right off the bat no, it's been quite a steady stream since it's it's been on Amazon. So yeah, that's quite good. I think the the main influx was when it first came out. Um, but I I didn't see any of the sales. Um, like it all went to Lee. Like I didn't even get any numbers. Now I'm actually getting numbers for uh -huh. how many books are sold and and stuff like that. Um, but I try and sort of put that back into into recovery rather mm -hmm. than sort of you know. Uh, make a profit off of it it was never about making a profit mm -hmm. off of it but it's obviously about um having a book product rather than putting something out as like a pdf or something like that um because you know, a lot of work went into it um mm -hmm. i ended i ended up doing like a, a six-week course um to understand more of the science behind <clears throat> addiction um but yeah i mean i'm happy with how it is now like mm -hmm. I'm actually, it's actually a product I'm proud of. Whereas the, the, the first one wasn't, I was like, you know, it was like, oh, I wrote a book, but I don't really want to show it to you. Now it's like, I wrote a book. Look, look, this is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, even in terms of work, like people at work have read it um, mm -hmm. and they're like, Oh, that's, that's, that's quite amazing. Like mm -hmm. I've never really thought of things like that, but they're not, you know, interested in addiction or Satanism. So it's quite, yeah um interesting and perspective to them i don't want to talk about your future plans on air uh you know because that's um uh, doesn't need to be done um and but did you ever um when you wrote it did you foresee like oh i hope this becomes a fellowship or i hope this uh like did you have did you have like hopes of what w would come of it other than you know obviously getting you know the word out and helping people you know did you ever foresee a fellowship happening 
I didn't think anyone was going to buy the book, to be honest with you. <laughs> I thought, you know, it'd be like a couple of mates will buy it and, you know, it'll be like, oh, I wrote this thing and, you know, no one's really that interested. Um, so the fact we're now talking after spending like a year creating all these satanic recovery meetings on Zoom, in person, it's far exceeded anything I ever thought was going to happen ever. Like seriously, it was like, I'm going to vomit something onto the page and then see if people are interested in it. And that'll be it. That'll be the end of it. Like, um, I suppose it was almost like I'm fed up of answering all these questions. Look, I'll just put it in a book. So it's over mm -hmm, there. Mm -hmm. And if you want to just read the book, don't <laughs> ask me the questions and leave me alone. <laughs> when you, um, wrote it and it's out and i'm sure people have told told you you know how meaningful it is and stuff like that like did i know obviously you kept going to meetings and doing stuff um but like did it ever um cause like a struggle with the meetings that you're going to after having this formulated idea like did you ever uh be like man i wish this was something like uh, aa was something else or did it just sort of like because for me reading it i'm like oh, okay i can exist inside of aa uh with this tool um you know it, i'm assuming it you know obviously it did that for you but did you ever like be like man i hope that maybe uh uh aa changes or i can find a different path in it i think actually before the whole covid thing and doing stuff online i did actually have people message the page going can we start a satanic recovery meeting and i'm like but you don't need to like the whole point in the book was you don't need to have something special and unique and individual to you. Just go to a normal meeting. The whole point was to make it palatable that you didn't have to limit yourself to going to a satanic recovery meeting. You can go to any meeting anywhere in the world because the steps are all the same. Yeah. You just have to view them from a different perspective. And that's what I was trying to give to people. The idea that you don't need to create something special from it, but then there was a demand for it. Like mm -hmm. we, we want to have, this like secular um, meeting based around the concepts that, that came from the book. So I resisted for a very long time to, to do the meeting. Interesting. I really did. That's, uh, I, I agree with that um, idea because that was, you know, very much so that I, I finished the book and I'm like, oh, okay, I can, this is, I, I can now, like the idea was I'll just use it as an emergency handle. And then I, I clicked and I, I understood why the people, why people get so religious, like, because when they click those together, a whole new world and I, and like the same thing happened for me. So it made it more palatable to hear all that in a meeting. And I'm like, okay, cool. I can, I'm just going to keep doing my thing and I'm just going to like get into this. And COVID was where I, my sponsors meeting stopped, um, you know, because of COVID and then the meetings I was comfortable with going to. And like, for me, I don't mind listening to people talk about God. I, I actually enjoy it. But when I get the impression that it's not genuine, that's when it upsets me. But like when I know somebody is, you know, passionately speaking about God, I'm like, fuck yeah, cool. You know, and I, I, I hear their words and stuff. And then that's sort of what happened to me in meetings where it just became like these platitudes of, well, I'm just grateful to, to God that I'm clean during this. And it was just like so much where I was like, I can't do it. 
I can't, I need more of like, it was two motivations of, I don't have, like, I have this now. Um, and I, I know since there's a book in my fucking hand and then I'm in these, these groups on Facebook that there's other people like me. I want to surround myself with those motherfuckers to go deeper into this while I have the time, really. That was like the, the thought of like, well, it's COVID and what else am I going to do? Um, and then, you know, uh, in combination with just the online meetings, it just... I, you know, maybe I was going to the wrong ones, but it, it was just so, so empty. Um, and that's something that I'm incredi incredibly grateful for with every every meeting that I've been to in satanic recovery is there's very few disingenuous um, shares. And a lot of people have, you know, we hear it in the meetings where like, wow, this is like genuine um because that's what i need i don't uh, you know telling me to even if you don't tell me to pray like uh you know just keep you know fake it till you make it it works when you work it uh half measures avail us nothing that isn't um substance and maybe that worked for you but summing it up in a sentence like that that says is repeated over and over and over takes away from the my ability to connect to your experience so it's just like whizzing past my fucking head um so yeah i'm i'm like i know uh that because of my experience around the two years i know that if your book, if our friendship, if satanic recovery wasn't a part of me, I know I wouldn't be alive. I know that because like it would have been, you know, if I didn't find that I would have smoked crack and I would have got away with it. And I know that I would have then regretted it and I wouldn't have done it again. And then the guilt would start weighing on me. And either I would maybe confess and restart my time like I should, or I would bottle that up and I smoke again and then I'd smoke again and then I'd shoot it. And then I would be right to the needle. And at two years, you know, uh, that's, it's over, you know, um, uh, it's just, you know, that, that I know that. So I'm, I'm very, very grateful. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, I shouldn't say sorry because I, I do genuinely feel it. And I know you well enough that I'm not embarrassed, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying sorry because I want to be able to formulate the words of, especially being three years today. Um, I, I am so thankful uh, for what we have, the book, everything, because like I have never been so plugged into me. Like I, I this week I've had the foot thing. So uh, that sort of made me like discontent, but like, and then also co combining that with fucking up my months. Um, I didn't know why I was, not okay. You know, I, I wasn't thinking about using, I wasn't thinking about any of that, but right. I didn't know what was up and I was in a bad mood. I was discontent. I was getting short, like even in the meeting on Saturday, I was getting annoyed with people's share and it had nothing to do with them. It was a hundred percent me. And then when I realized, oh my God, it's my anniversary, you know, that that's why it's just the normal jitters because of satanic recovery and the 
thing that we have and the tools that I now have and deepened with uh, your help and everybody else, I know how to address myself. I know what, what it is and how to work on it. And like, you know, I'm, I, you know, like last night I did some stuff and like that, that fucking like tightness went away. I was like, Oh, okay. You know, I, I sat down and I wrote and I did the things which I wouldn't have had without this. So, you know, eternally grateful uh, through all the ups and downs that we've had. Um, Because I'm honestly grateful for the the, for the downs as well as the ups, because it's it's, you know, this thing has become such a beautiful, beautiful, uh, meaningful uh, endeavor. Um, So I'm the very long way of saying I, I love you. And I'm I'm just so thankful that, you know, whatever all those events came together to to make this this thing, um, you know, uh, I I carry um, the you gave me the book where you wrote where you crossed out all the gods. And I, I carry that in my bag everywhere. And it's 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 beat up and I open it all the time. And like that's like you know, the tangible thing, like when things get bad, like the, the book is really like the one thing that I'm like, okay, you know, just as other people cl- clutch the big book, that is my big book. And it, it brings me so much peace. Like even when I'm at work or I'm out in the world and I start feeling like I know it's in my bag in the back seat, <laughs> you know, so the, there's an incredible, it's like a talisman for my recovery. So I'm, I'm very grateful. And, um, you know, thank you for giving me your time. I would like to just give you the forewarning that the next time we do this, I want to get more into like, I'm going to, I'm going to grill you on some of the ideas that didn't fully connect with me in, in the book Um, or, you know, they connected, but I, 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 you know, I want to utilize the fact that I can ask you all the questions that I, when I read it the first time. Yeah. Well, I want to give some gratitude back, actually, because I wouldn't have started the meetings had you not asked me to write the the uh, the script for your your second anniversary. And <clears throat> I mean, I'm so immersed in recovery now because of these meetings. I've never been this close to my recovery ever. I mean, my recovery's been there, but it's always been like on the side. Now I'm like properly mm-hmm. in my recovery, and that would never have happened had it not been for for you and and doing that so i'm you know giving you the gratitude back there you know um and i mean the friendship we've got from this is Mm -hmm. is amazing and it's something you know that um it's you know i hope it continues for a long time yeah no it it, uh you're not getting away from me i'll i'll say that (laughs) um but yeah i i appreciate that i do um I really do, you know, and I appreciate you. Um, that is, uh, I, I, and I appreciate your time. I, I, I've, I had like the idea that this would be an hour, but we're <laughs> at an hour and 51. I, um, you know, so you yeah. talk, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, the longer, the better. Um, I, I appreciate it. Is there anything, um, before we close that I, um, maybe didn't address or touch on that you might want to, you know, um, tell my daughter in the ideas surrounding satanic recovery i'm not i don't think so i mean in terms of sort of having the book as like a a talisman or something like that i mean it's it's 
it's a backbone for you to grow off it. And that's what it was. It's not going to be something to be worshipped or, you know, it was always to be like, this is your starting point, grow from it. Like, and, and that's what I was wanting. It's not going to be like, you have to follow X, Y, Z. Like you mm -hmm. have to figure out where X, Y, and Z are before you can join the dots together. Um, I'm just kind of giving you a bit of a framework to do that and maybe shift, like give you a bit of a paradigm shift to go, go and look in that direction that's where you want to go like don't don't look over on on the right come and have a look on the left and and see where that that path takes you so it's never going to be like you know come on everyone come and follow me it's like yeah you no know, don't don't follow me you okay. don't know where i'm going like and you might not want to come there um you follow your path over there and you know i'm going to come and do my bit over here and if you find what i do interesting great but you don't have to follow what i'm doing mm -hmm. um like um I suppose it's there's a lot of stuff that comes from being entrenched in a Christian mindset that you have to follow somebody else mm -hmm. or you have to follow something else. And I'm going to say, no, um, you follow you. Um, you're the one that's going to that help you out there. If you do the work properly, if you actually go through the steps and go, OK, this is where I'm going wrong and this is what I need to change and I need to look at this part you don't need to follow anyone else you 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 know where you're heading you know where you want to go and you can strive towards that it's finding the will isn't it um the will to do it it's not a desire it's not i desire to do this it's i will to do this mm -hmm. i am mm -hmm. gonna go that way and 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 that's kind of the 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 difference and i'm i'm gonna write a piece on that and mm -hmm. and go because i mean i'm at the point now sort of what well, it's like five years after starting the first book i'm at the point now where i've got something more to say um so I'm in a up. in a book form or uh like essay uh form i've got you a don't few know. essays I, I think i'm going to go down the book route again Okay. Um, because I think there's a way of structuring stuff that, and there's enough to structure with it to actually go, okay, like that was sort of how to get over that thing. Now's how to live it. Because I suppose over the last sort of 12 months of living it properly, um, like properly living satanic recovery and, you know, having gone through things before there's, there's a lot more that I could, could add on that, that, that kind of came from that uh, actually sober satanic living is, is kind of where we're at now, rather than okay. going, this is how we go through the steps. Now we have to go, okay, now we have to live like a sober satanist. Um, and now we have to kind of develop, from there and and how how is best to do that um so there's 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 ideas bumbling in there and and about um and yeah so i think now it's come to the point where i do have something more to say <clears throat> there's actually i mean before i would write like before the book the first book uh, or the book came out i would write stuff and i'd just go oh, i'm gonna send that you know uh but i realized people don't not everything i say is good um not everything i say people want to hear um you know uh, there was a whole incident with uh, tst that they didn't want to hear what i had to say uh, and that was quite funny um but interesting i managed to prove all the points that i made in you know when I did it. Um, <laughs> um, but that's neither here nor there you know uh, but i don't you know if, if people want to 
do TST, do TST. Mm. It's fine. Like if you want to do COS, do COS. You know, if you want to do cores, do cores. If mm-hmm. there's some other group out there, like Sector the Horn God was something that I I um got looking at into as well because that was more sort of study based for me you know satanism is about study rather than worship and it's about studying um everything that we find interesting because then it's a leisure activity but it's about studying you mm-hmm. and where you're mm-hmm. going what you want to do and how you tick and you know how things kind of go along for you because nobody else is you so mm-hmm. don't follow anyone else because they're going to go where they want to go follow you because you know where you want to go and and that's that's the main thing you know um you are the master of your own recovery you know and and that's the most important thing that i'm um... I think it was like maybe the third Saturday meeting. Um, my wife is always in the, you know, she's in the house and we're in a small place. So, uh, but we stopped the meeting and she went, she looked at me and she went, you know, Ben is really humble. And I'm glad that you are because um, like that you saying that, like it's very, it could be very easy to go down the cult path (laughs) and you don't ever do that and i appreciate that and that's the that is the talisman of that book of when i think when i when i you know grab it because i need to uh that is the thing i remember of i am worth it i know that i have the power so now go you know, and use the baseline tools, but now dive deeper. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful for that because, you know, you are, are, uh, you do practice what you preach and that is so fucking far and few between. Um, the last thing that I always ask people, um, is it, I, obviously this is for my daughter, um, to get to know me better and, and hopefully learn a lesson of life. And so then I like to ask people when I first interview them, if you could go back to yourself, a younger self and, and give him a piece of advice, give him, um, something, um, whatever that is, uh, what would that be? And in that, when I, when I say that question, it's whatever you vision. Um, it's not a 60 year old self. It's not a, you know, it could be you last year. It's whatever, what could you, what would you go back and tell yourself, uh, to help, um, deepen or maybe, um, enrich your path a little bit deeper. Cause I'm hoping that my daughter can listen to this and take a lesson away. For me, I wouldn't change anything. I, I really look at the, the Nietzschean idea of <clears throat> if you want to do something, if, if you think about um, living your life, if you have to live your life again, making the same choices and the same like mistakes and stuff all over again, you can't change anything. Would you do what you're going to do now? Absolutely. If the, if the answer is no, don't do it. Um, and that's essentially that's essentially it and i love that that idea of nietzschean philosophy in there um so yeah make sure that you're doing the right choices for you in that right moment and that's the most important thing um and i'm gonna throw a maybe i shouldn't but i'm gonna throw this in here of um you have a daughter um do you have any advice for me um, because I am 
like my my mother's going to help me finalize the paperwork i'm getting you know uh i'm still apprehensive but i am eking closer than i was last week to that end goal of uh getting her back into my life more and going the court route uh do you have any as a fellow sat satanic person in recovery and a father um do you have any advice for me um for me with my kids i don't teach them indoctrination i teach them critical thinking into question and i don't try and overlay my views on them to say you have to think the same way as me or this is what i believe in you know this is important for me it's about getting them to critically think because that's a satanic mindset and to actually be conscious and aware of the things that they're taking in the information they're taking in you know saying okay this might be one truth you know let's look at other ways of looking at things and, and doing things but ultimately make sure you have fun. Don't take yourself too seriously. Even as a parent, as, as a child, don't take yourself too seriously and make sure there's fun in it. You know, teach them the things that you like doing, you know, and see what they like doing. They're, they're part of you and they're going to, they're going to reflect you back to you. And it's, it's quite amazing when, you know, you, you see them do it and you see bits of you and you're, oh shit, they're like, that. oh great, you poor thing. But then you can help them work through that and, mm -hmm. and, and, and see how it is. But yeah, you're going to be an amazing dad and well, you are an amazing dad. So, you know, I don't think you could do anything different. Just be you. Well, thank you. Um very much um river as always i love you very much and ben i love you uh <laughs> deeply you. i um thank you um and you know i will i also side note i appreciate you taking tomorrow i'm i'm angry now that i know that it's my anniversary i want i'm angry that i can't go but i i i thank you for covering my ass but hopefully this uh foot thing will be over as of tomorrow cool thanks man Thanks for your time. You. I love you. Have a good night. I hope love you, you too, get some fucking rest, man. Well, there's the meeting in about 45 minutes, so I'll probably stay out for that. <laughs> well, thanks, man. I'll, uh, no I'll I, actually, yeah, I'll eat. Maybe, maybe I can get the get there as well. All right, I'll see yeah. you later, man. Well, see you in a bit. Bye.